on the ESG Beat, we will speak with Alex Heath, the Executive Vice President for the Business and Social Purpose Practice for Edelman, one of the world's leading communications firms. Alex and his team helped devise purposeful business strategies backed by societal action. Today, we will discuss how Alex works with companies and foundations to uncover a term that he favors and enact corporate purpose. Alex, welcome to the ESG Beat. Thank you, Amelia, for having me. I'm excited to have the conversation. So today on the ESG Beat, I'd like to focus on your work at Edelman and in particular, the work that you do on corporate purpose. But before I do that, can you tell us a little bit about Edelman more broadly? Certainly. Edelman is uh, one of the world's largest communications and marketing firms. Um, We have offices all around the world and we have about 6,000 people um, who do many different kinds of of work for clients across the entire range of, as I mentioned, communications and marketing, all all, um, kind of linked together by a belief that for our clients, it is important for us to earn attention. So we don't believe that we can pay for attention. We believe we need to earn attention. And so that drives um, our efforts around trusted communications programs, partnerships, and earned creative. Uh, So creative ways to really bring people forward um, into into conversations. that's, That's a little bit about us. So now let's turn to the business and social purpose practice and how that fits within uh, the rest of Edelman's work. What is the mission of that practice? Um, And then we'll get into specifically how you work with companies. And I'm excited to get really granular and in the weeds with you about that. Sure. So um, as I mentioned, Edelman has about 6,000 people globally. Uh, Our teams globally, we have Um, I'd say less than 50 people. Um, And so we are a group of specialists that are very focused on purpose, social impact, and sustainability writ large. Um, Our mission is very similar to Edelman's mission, right? Our our mission is to partner with our clients to build trusted engagements with all of our stakeholders. Um, And uh, specifically, what we do is we help companies uh, both you know, enterprise and brand uh, define and evolve their role in society by uncovering purpose. I use that phrase to, uh, deliberately by uncovering purpose, rec- creating a roadmap for action, and inspiring engagement across the entire stakeholder ecosystem. And I think it's important to mention this idea of uncovering purpose because some people will say, "Well, we define a purpose. We we." We've, we help you create your purpose. We can't. A company must have a purpose. Um, if it doesn't have a purpose, I don't know how to find a purpose or make a purpose. But a company will have one, and it's our job to do the hard work with them in partnership to uncover it. It's there. We just have to uncover that, articulate it, and then create that roadmap for action. So that's how we work. And, and I'd say the vast majority of our clients are for-profit companies. Um, although we do work with some nonprofits and foundations uh, to do you know, more executional communication. So corporate purpose is a really hot topic right now in corporate governance scholarship. And there's a big debate as to whether companies should even have a purpose and why we can't go back to when purpose was aligned with the very simple idea of profit maximization. So I'd like to ask you, what is the purpose of purpose? I mean, why is it important for companies to articulate 
a particular purpose at all? Well, I think the the history of corporate purpose is is a long one. Um, over the last, let's say, twenty years, and it really started from uh, with with the world of corporate social responsibility, and where corporate social responsibility started was very much in the world of uh, companies being targeted by NGOs for activist reasons. Um, you'd and the counterpunch to that was companies saying, "Well, let's donate some money to nonprofit organizations um, to make ourselves look good, to make ourselves feel good." And then where that morphed into was executives uh, donating money with their corporate dollars to causes that they cared about. And, and this was important, and that worked. And, and then eventually, stakeholders started to push companies to do more and more. And we've moved from you know CSR to you know and to to more of a social impact to shared value which was is a few years old now into this world of purpose and and corporate sustainability as sort of sustainability is central to business both for the environmental side and for the long term of business and i think what we've seen so we've seen a couple of things we've seen stakeholder expectations change dramatically and and you know one of the things about Edelman is that we study trust. Uh, we've been studying trust for over 20 years. We release the Edelman Trust Barometer every year in January, and then a series of other pieces of content throughout the year. Um, and I would recommend looking at that and watching how the stakeholder expectations of businesses have changed over the years. But we repeatedly see stakeholders all around the world saying they expect CEOs to lead the change. They expect business to take action. Employees expect their companies to have a social impact on, on society. And that's one of the reasons why employees want to work in these places. So all of these trends are converging because if employees want you to have a social impact and that's happening at the same time as you know, we speak to pre-COVID, of course, we speak to young people and young people will say, I will never work for one company for my whole career. And or you have some people who say, I will never work for a company, which is very different from our parents' generation who may have made a career of 30 years of a company. So now you have the war for talent and you have people moving around, right? So that's from the employee side. You have the rise of the belief-driven buyer, which we've seen is three fully three quarters of people will say, or two-thirds of people, forgive me, will say that they buy on belief. Now, of course, you can pick that apart and say, is that what they say and they intend to do and do they actually do it but the intention is certainly around around that um, and in the last couple of years as relevant for this uh, conversation specifically we've seen the rise of esg and esg has been around for a really long time maybe 10 years or so in the lexicon but over the last couple of years we've seen the rise of investors moving into this space so you have employees you have customers you also have B2B customers, by the way, and you have um, and you have um, uh, investors. And so all of this is getting us to this place where this has all sort of led us to last year, the announcement of the business roundtable and the new vision for corporate purpose. Um, and, and we can pick that apart. And we have a lot of questions about that, of course, and happy to discuss it. But but that was announced and that was a milestone in its announcement. And then you had the new Davos Manifesto, which was effectively the same thing. Um, and what you're talking about is stakeholder capitalism. 
and you're talking about not removing the shareholder from the conversation, but simply adding four more stakeholders to the consideration set. So now you have a total of five. And so the purpose of purpose gets you to how do you serve all of these stakeholders in a world where the expectations have risen dramatically. You face a war for talent. Investors are calling on you to do this. Customers are making different kinds of decisions. And everything is getting more and more transparent from a communications perspective. So everybody, if you say you stand up for diversity and inclusion, it takes me two clicks to see what your executive team looks like and what your board of directors looks like. And if they're not diverse and inclusive, somebody will call you out for that. So the purpose of purpose is to help you know, fix, you know, address all of these stakeholders, fix is the wrong word, address all of these stakeholders, but also set companies up um, for you know, the, the guide star, the, the north star, the guiding posts to, chat, to tackle all of these complexities that exist in the world now of corporate strategy and communications. So forgive me for that very long answer, but it felt like we needed to go back a little bit to get to, to get to now. Absolutely. And um, when I look at corporate purpose, I actually go back even further uh, to the inception of the corporation itself and you know, why we created this form. Um, and it was very much to serve societal needs um, that couldn't be served by government. Um, but I completely agree with you uh, with respect to the trajectory of CSR moving to, um, you know, sort of shared uh, value or doing well by doing good uh, framework to ESG um, today and the convergence of the stakeholder voice around uh, you know companies um, really being clear about their purpose would you say then that purpose is a vehicle for communicating with these different stakeholders so i think purpose is is twofold i, I think purpose is a uh, guide for actions and i think that's the first thing to say um, because it is important that and i, and I, I Obviously, I sit at a communications firm, but our first piece of advice to clients is the, is the action that they need to take to underpin any communications that they then deliver. Um, and once you have that, you then also do, yes, of course, have a guide to uh, communicating with stakeholders and engaging them in the conversation around what you're doing. But the action comes first and then the communication. Was okay, so before we get to enacting purpose and the action um, that companies uh, who are enacting purpose effectively are taking. I'd, I'd like to discuss purpose and risk. We've heard the word resilience, regulated purpose or uncovering your purpose as a company. And does that make companies more resilient to risk? So uh, I think, um, I think it, it comes down to the types of transparency. Um, I, I think, you know, articulating your purpose, uncovering and articulating your purpose is only step one. And so the next step is how do you have those, um, how do you have those, those, those transparent conversations and those set those clear goals and then work towards those goals that I think then do uh, set companies up to become more resilient over the long term 
if we believe that uh, stakeholders, you know, if, if this kind of era of stakeholder engagement and stakeholder capitalism is going to uh, continue to exist. And, and I also think that, you know, just from a financial perspective, we're seeing a lot of uh, the ESG indices um, that companies are, are performing, either outperforming or, or simply performing better, especially in a downturn like a COVID. And I think the jury is still out. We have to wait a little bit to see the, the full ramifications financially. But I think we're seeing a lot of data points that are saying that companies have their ESG act together um, are uh, more uh, resilient, um, more solid at a moment, you know, in a downturn. Um, but, you know, for instance, think about, you know, what's going on right now. Um, it, you know, today is June 2nd um, and, and what's been going on here in the U.S. Um, how do you become resilient? You know, how do you address diversity and inclusion in your business? Now, this was a, a question that's been around for a long time. Maybe this spurs this moment that we that we're in now spurs more action. Um, but what's what stakeholders are calling for is is not companies to just say, and certainly not companies to just say and donate. We can look at what happened with Facebook. Uh, they're you know they're they've got a completely different challenge, but you know they donated ten million dollars and they're being called out for not doing enough. And actually, you know, people are saying they're insulted uh, by it. Now that's obviously there's a political aspect to that, but you know what is the action? And I think what's important is also to say about all of these companies, the action doesn't need to be, you know, going from zero to 60 degree, 60 miles an hour in, in five minutes. Like the, the action that's needed is the, the action that's right for you as a company. And it needs to be a transparent action and you need to take steps towards it. And I think with those kinds of steps, you become more resilient because you have your sort of ESG uh, house in order or you're getting it in order and so people are looking at you and you're looking as a healthy company your employees may be looking at you um, as a company that's taking real concerted action and um, and moving the, the ball along the path and stakeholders are doing the same right customers consumers etc so I, I do think that there's a, an element of purpose being the vehicle for greater resilience but it's really about what do you do after you articulate it. So step one is uncovering purpose and a company doesn't become resilient merely by uncovering their purpose, but they have to act on their purpose is what I'm hearing you say. So to contextualize this, let's now move on to acting on purpose. Can you give us examples of companies that are doing this really well? Yeah, the, so I mean, one of the best is Unilever. And Unilever has been at it for a very long time. Um, you know, uh, over 10 years ago at this point, they created the Sustainable Living Plan, which is their purpose, right? And, and their purpose, well, it's their guide to purpose, but their purpose is to make sustainable living commonplace. So this is a guide for other companies like that does not talk about how many products they want to sell it doesn't talk about um, any of their brands it talks about sort of why they exist and why they matter and that's how i would define purpose um, it's why you exist and why you matter unilever does it so well um, and they have targets right they have targets like 
um, you know, double, you know, double the number of products they've sold, they sell and have the environmental impact of those products. So they want to make, they, they are non-apologetic and nor should they be. They're a business and they are about selling more products, but they want to sell more products in a sustainable way and make for you and I sustainable living commonplace. And then you can pull that through their brands. So they have you know, brands that have been doing incredible things like Dove, the campaign for real beauty for many years they've been doing. And then just recently Dove Men has done some really great work on paternity leave here in this country uh, and standing up for it. And you know, one of the things about that was Dove Men really wanted to say, um, how do we stand up for men? What are some of the issues? in this country that, that it was a US program. What are some of the issues in this country that, that uniquely affect men and how can we be effective? And they started talking about paternity leave and then to their credit, they said, well, our paternity leave is not best in class. So the first thing they did was they turned around and created a best in class paternity leave program. Um, and after that, they were ready to launch externally and offer paternity leave to you know, I think it's the 15% of uh, working men in the U.S. who don't have access to paid paternity leave. So they created a program where if you don't have paid access to paternity leave, you could apply for it and they would pay for your paternity leave. Um, but they needed to get their house in order first. And that's a very, some companies don't do that. Every company should do that. But that's a very uniquely Unilever thing. Of course, they did that because, again, they're guided by the sustainable living plan. Um, so there are certainly other examples of the brands of Unilever that do this very well, but Unilever themselves is sort of the best-in-class um, uh, organization that everybody mentions. Um, they recently created a campaign mostly for their employees, um, but called United for America um, to activate their employees um, and um, support uh, the essential workers in the US through employee volunteerism and through donations. Um, and that was done uh, just two weeks ago. And they had a day of service uh, on May 21st, right in the middle of the COVID epidemic. So, um, so they're still very active in doing all of this work on a daily basis. Um, another great example is Patagonia. Um, uh, Patagonia's purpose is, you know, we're in business to save our home planet. Again, this is incredible. Um, this has nothing to do with coats or active wear or, or the outside or anything. We're in business to save our home planet. And so that guides you uh, in everything that you do. So that means that, you know, when you, um, you know, a few years ago, I think this, that, that purpose is relatively new for them, but they've always had that ethos. And so a few years ago, they created this iconic campaign called Don't Buy This Jacket. Um, where they actively worked to help people, um, you know, sew up their old jackets and 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 um, make sure that whatever they had from Patagonia, they were going to help them and, and refurbish them. And um, that's that's brilliant because so many companies just want to sell you the next thing, and they also don't make things to last. But these guys, they make products that last, and they didn't want to sell you anymore. So obviously it was a little counterintuitive and it was a great communications program, which goes back to our kind of other conversation, which was they have a purpose. They created a roadmap for action and they did real work 
and then they communicated it to stakeholders so that they could really engage people in the conversation. Um, of course, over the last couple of years, they've taken on the uh, Trump administration in a variety of ways, um, and they've done a few other things that I think speak quite loudly about their work. But you know, the the President Stole Your Land ad campaign a couple of years ago was very powerful. Um, and again, perfectly aligned to their purpose and un unapologetically so. Um, so I think those are two very good examples um, of, of some companies that are, are doing a very nice job. They've, they've articulated, they've got a really clear roadmap to action, and they've communicated it to their stakeholders and engaged people in conversation. Yeah, with, with Patagonia, um, the interesting thing about Patagonia is that they, of course, have more flexibility because they're not a public company, right? So they um, are really able to push the envelope when it comes to purpose. Um, although they did change their corporate form to be the first California public benefit corporation. Um, Yvonne Chouinard wore a suit and was the first in line <laughs> when to make sure the Patagonia was the first company in California. But um, Nevertheless, it's uh, extraordinary uh, uncovering a purpose and um, purpose-driven action uh, from Patagonia. T tell us about a couple more companies. Sure. Um, I think Nike is a really interesting example for us to discuss. Nike's purpose is, um, our purpose is to unite the world through sport, to create a healthy planet, active communities, and an equal playing field for all. So I think they've got a purpose that makes sense for them and sort of comes from the roots of who they are. It's tied to sport, it's tied to active communities. You have healthy planet in there, you have equal playing field for all. I, I think, you know, the healthy planet side um, and equal playing field for all active communities, this all makes sense for them from, they, they have evolved dramatically in the past couple of decades um, you know, before corporate purpose was really a buzzword and, and before the stakeholders uh, really engaged in these questions, before we had so much communications transparency where we could look for what people were doing, they were being challenged for labor rights abuses at factories in China um, and how they were really making the product. Um, and I think they followed uh, a path that the corporate purpose world followed, right? I think they, they went into CSR and did donations, and then over time they moved into shared value. And I think now they're very much in, you know, corporate sustainability is a, a driving force. They made a huge announcement at Climate Week last year. Um, they continue to make um, big, take big stances on issues in society. Um, you know, they ran the equality campaign a couple of years ago, which I thought was very well done. I think, you know, they, um, they've created, uh, they had the Kaepernick ad, you know, last year, which was also very well done. Um, and they recently did another piece that was, that was very well done. The challenge with some of these for me, and, and the reason why I think Nike is a really interesting idea, is because some of these veer towards a talk more than do. And I think what we talked about earlier still holds is that for corporate purpose to be authentic, to authentically reach your stakeholders, you need to articulate, you know, uncover and articulate your purpose, create this roadmap to action and take action. And then you can communicate and engage your stakeholders. And sometimes I fear that they skip that middle step. And that is 
illustrated through some of the um, the lawsuits that they're facing around gender discrimination, uh, some of the executives that they've lost uh, over the last couple of years around some of these challenges. This company that would use a you know an athlete leverage an athlete like a Colin Kaepernick to tell these stories and you know talk about these other uh, you know put use the faces of of black athletes and women athletes to run their equality campaign, but then internally they were facing real challenges as people of color, as women in this company uh, and the way that it was really kind of operating. Now, that's, you know, two years later, we're sort of, you know, in a, uh, in a different world. They have a completely different executive team. I'm sure they're looking at different uh, approaches to things. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people will cite them as a purposeful company and they will cite them as a purposeful company based on the communications. And so I would make sure to push and pull on that centerpiece, which is that creating a roadmap to action and taking action. I think they have some of it, but it's not all buttoned up. And I think that's probably the case with most companies, right? Even a Unilever in Patagonia, they are best in class, but most companies are finding their way still, right? And, and uh, still trying to figure out how to do this. And they're busy and they're trying to make these these actions and they're getting called on by all of these different stakeholder groups and at the same time um, they may feel like they're doing wonderful work over here and then somebody will find something that becomes a challenge for them and then they need to go and fix that so i'm sure that many folks there uh, meant very well were working to to do the right thing uh, and may have there may have been some gaps there but that's a little bit about nike so that gets us into our next topic, which is the perils of purpose. And you've touched upon one peril, which is if there isn't an alignment between your purpose and what is happening internally in your organization, you've got a problem. And that one seems rather um, obvious, although it's remarkable how, how many times we see that disconnect. But I'd like to pivot to the danger of going too far on corporate purpose. So the lines between business and government are becoming blurred, as we know. And the as your terrific work on uh, the trust barometer shows, um, stakeholders are expecting companies to fill in for uh, gaps in um, government. So what is the risk of companies going too far down that path? And how do you advise companies to draw lines? Sure. I, I mean, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, I, I think going too far uh, is, is a tough concept for me to wrap my head around because I would say there's not really going too far from a corporate purpose perspective. There's a getting out ahead of your skis, and maybe that's the same idea. But And, and when I think about that, I mean, um, doing the communications without the, without the impactful action. Um, you know, saying that you're going to do all of these things without having your house in order. Putting out an ad around diversity and inclusion and not having your roadmap to diversity and inclusion. Talking about your climate program, but having no plan to deliver that. Um, I think some companies have found success in making big pronouncements 
30-year goals, things like this, and saying, we have no idea how to reach this, but we are targeting this goal. This is like what Microsoft did earlier this year when they announced you know, dramatic emissions cuts, and they said they were going to cut the emissions uh, to, that they've ever released. They were gonna offset the emissions that they've ever released in the entire life cycle of the company. They also said they don't know how to do that. So that's interesting. I don't know that that's going too far because I think they're sort of setting the bar and they're pushing the envelope. Um, I think what we found is um, often uh, journalists and stakeholders are so focused in the now that they don't go back and say, hey, you made this commitment 10 years ago, you haven't met it yet. I think companies are constantly updating their commitments. And so I think that's one where one space where I think that could be going too far if they're gonna set themselves up for risk, but I think many companies are able to kind of think about the long term and sort of make the transitions over time. Um, and I think that, you know, if we talk about employees expecting companies to do things, um, I think that's a really rich area, right? I think we're seeing, uh, you know, we talked about employees as a center, a central stakeholder. Um, employees are getting more active. Um, you know, over the last few years, um, I think it's just changed a lot during the Trump administration. Um, you saw, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, Wayfair, uh, Google, uh, Salesforce, um, some of these, Microsoft, some of these were protests against using their uh, products or technology for ICE detention centers in the South when, when the border conversation was hot and heavy. Um, some, you know, I think Microsoft, there was a challenge around one of the games that the developers had made for Xbox that was also being um, used at the Pentagon. And they were talking about using it for you know, war games. And so people were protesting against that. And more recently, obviously Google around um, you know, gender discrimination and Facebook uh, you know, as we speak around you know, the president's posts and, and, and Twitter and what they've been doing. So there's a lot of things that employees are pushing on and some the companies are delivering on those expectations and some the companies are not delivering on those expectations. And I think that's a fascinating place to see and what, what that push and pull is. Um, but I think ultimately the perils of purpose for me exist in the space of going out there and communicating and not having done the work to make sure that you have your house in order. But at the same time, it's really important for us to allow space for clients to communicate and also encourage them to communicate because this idea of having your house in order can scare people and can say you need to be 100% buttoned up before you say anything. And I don't think that's the truth either, right? I think that if you have goals, we, we want to make sure that we're going out there and communicating, but being transparent about our process to get there and saying we have goals and let's let's talk about how we are going to achieve these goals over time. I think that is the key. Um, but you know, obviously, if you're just going to go out there and talk about it, and then you don't have your plan of action, that's uh, there. You can very much be in peril. Thank you. That's that's really helpful to look at it as a journey and to be very transparent that you know uh, companies are on this journey of. Uh, enacting their purpose. 
Um, and I agree with you, the employee um, expectations have changed completely in this area and companies are navigating that very uncharted territory now. So thankfully they have uh, people like you, Alex, to help them <laughs> navigate. Um, so let's move on to our last topic. I, I like to always end the ESG beat by giving uh, the guests a magic wand and a crystal ball. So let's start with your magic wand. If you could change something about the way that the co that companies are approaching purpose, what would that be? So I think the most important thing is sort of what I was just talking about or, or the most important things sort of are what I was just talking about. I want to remove the fear of action from companies. I want to refute, I want to remove the conversation where a company says, we're sitting on the sidelines on this issue because we haven't said anything about this before. That feels like a, an empty way to approach the world, right? Everything that we've talked about now feels to me like we are demanding action of companies and any action is good action. So I would like to remove the fear of action. I would, I would like companies to commit to the long term. I think purpose and sustainability are long term efforts and short termism is a challenge. It's one of the challenges that many have faced from, you know, reporting on quarterly, uh, qu quarterly revenue uh, as public companies. This has been a conversation that many people have been having and, and um, how does how can companies think about the long term because these sustainability issues are not tomorrow's problem i mean they are tomorrow's problem but they're not tomorrow's solution they're the solution over the next two years the next four years and those six years the next 10 years um and so we're in 2020 this is the beginning of the un's decade of action we're targeting 2030 as the target date for the sustainable development goals i want companies to commit to 10-year goals 20-year goals 30-year goals that's what i would love to see and then within these places, do the work. I think so many companies are trying to move so fast and they're, or they're short staffed or they don't have enough budget. And so they just sort of try to put a stamp on a purpose um, and try to run a program and go. And I think as we've talked about during this conversation, this work is in depth. This work is important. This work is um, scrutinized. This work can set you up for to be a more resilient company. This work can set your talent base up. This work can make you a better place to work and a better place to be recruited to. Um, but you have to do the work. You have to spend the time. You have to have the right conversations with the right partners to ensure that what you're doing is sensitive and impactful. You have to deliver that work and then you have to commit to learning from it and evolving it. Right, no more of these, let's do a pilot for one year. Oh, that pilot was okay, let's scrap the project. Like, let's do the work and do the work over time. So those are the three things. I would remove fear of action, commit to the long-term and do the work. And now for the crystal ball. From your vantage point, how do you see companies approaching corporate purpose? So I think I would have had a different answer for you in January and February when we were, um, 
you know, coming off of last August when we had the business roundtables, new vision for corporate purpose, and following fast from that, we had the, you know, World Economic Forum's Davos Manifesto, the new Davos Manifesto, both calling for stakeholder capitalism. And I think I would have said that more companies are going to uh, embrace uh, stakeholder capitalism. I think I would have said that, you know, at the moment, the UN Global Compact has 11,000 members. Only 800 of those members have committed to science-based targets. And of those 800, only 200 have committed to science-based targets that would get them to 1.5 degrees uh, emission, you know, emissions to get to the 1.5 degrees level that would help them help the world achieve the Paris agreements. So. That's 11,000 self-selecting members who have already signed on to the UN Global Compact, and only 200 are going to help us reach the Paris Accord. So I would say if we are truly believing in stakeholder capitalism, we're going to double, we're going to triple, we're going to quadruple that number of companies that are taking sustainable actions, that are committing to, um, that are committing to uh, achieving the climate goals and the long-term goals that, that we see. And I think we're starting to see that with Microsoft. Um, their announcement that we've already discussed. I think we were starting to see that when AstraZeneca announced that they were going to go carbon neutral um, and a few other companies and, you know, Nike's announcement last in last September, all, all of these are public information. And, and then COVID-19 hit. And then um, we saw what the world would look like if um, climate change was mitigated. But from a company's perspective, you had the rise of the S from the ESG, and you had this kind of hyper-focus on employees and talent and people. And so really, I was wondering about what was, the, what was going to happen from a climate perspective in the E side versus the S side. And now when we're talking, we're in the midst of um, a movement of protests that are swelling in this country that are focused in the area of um, racism and violence that from a company's perspective are moving into conversations around diversity and inclusion, which I think sit sort of squarely within the S. So I think that what these sort of things have, have moved us towards is, I think the crystal ball is telling me that companies are gonna be much more about their people than maybe they had been before. Um, it was an important piece, but it almost felt like, um, and I don't know if I wanna say it's an afterthought, but a little bit of an afterthought in some of the other conversations that have been having. And when people talked about the S in ESG, they talked about philanthropy and community, community volunteering. And when they talked about their people, they really talked about volunteerism and how do we get people to volunteer. And I think that's, different now. I think we're talking about how do we treat people? How do we make sure our employees are safe? How do we think about wellness? I'm already starting to see some clients who are very simple, basic thing, but instead of having a, you know, planet people, planet product people structure in their, um, you know, in, in their sustainability platform, they're going to start with people. And they're exploring what kinds of other commitments can they make to people. So my crystal ball tells me that um, we're moving towards the era of companies really focused on their people. And that is going to be, um, you know, the differentiator 
for corporate purpose is how they treat their people and how their people are able to interact in their communities and how their people who are making the products interact with uh, their products and how their people interact with their customers and their consumers. So um, I think we'll see the rise of the S in, in being a much more important piece, which also you know, integrates with company culture and uh, thinking about how company culture is that which will strengthen companies over the long term. Um, so that's sort of what I'm thinking, but, but honestly, it's a crystal ball, so who knows? Well, I look forward to looking into the crystal ball with you again uh, as we watch this uh, space develop. And I hope that you're right, that um, companies will invest in their people and um, in their workforce. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, very grateful for your time and for your insights on corporate purpose. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG Beat with me today.